Let me share this story with you first. In 1983, uh, John Scully was the president of Pepsi. And in the 80s, Pepsi was crushing it. They were a huge company. They still are obviously a huge company. One of the most successful five, Fortune 500 companies of all time. And Scully was like the boss. He was the head honcho. But he got offered a job uh, to leave Pepsi during this time by a guy named Steve Jobs. And Steve Jobs comes to John Scully and asks him to be the CEO of his weirdo startup company that he had begun in his garage a couple years before. And, uh, and so Scully has this decision. Do I leave Pepsi, this obviously huge brand, major successful company, in this job of my career for this tech startup before tech startup for cool? And so, how does he end up leaving Pepsi for Apple? It's because Jobs gave him an offer he couldn't refuse. Here's the apparent quote that Jobs said to Scully. He said, listen, John, do you want to spend the rest of your life selling sugar water? Or do you want a chance to help change the world? That's good, right? (laughs) It works. I love the question, though. Do you want to spend the rest of your life selling sugar water or do you want to have a chance to change the world? And in many ways tonight, as we look at this chapter, this last chapter of Acts this semester, I'm asking you the same question. Do you want to have a chance to change the world? Why are you here? I don't just mean an RUF, like why are you at Clemson? What's, what's the point? Is it because it was the school of your dreams? Which is great. Is it because it was the school that your parents went to? It's kind of always been in the family. That's great. Is it because it's the school with the football? That's why I'm here, and that's great. Enjoy it. I love it. All those things are good. Is it because it's the school that had your major and it was closest to home for the scholarships, or it was the furthest school from home and it had your major? Like all sorts of reasons that you're here, right? Good reasons. I think there's something so much more for you here. And a bigger reason that you're here that maybe you're not even realizing yet. Something more than just an overly committed schedule, uh, a remarkable GPA, building great friendships, maybe the best friends you've ever had. Something so much more than even like a dream job offer. I would argue that those things in the end are just sugar water. There's something so much more for you. And so I want to show you tonight. I have something kind of ambitious that I want to do tonight. I I want you to see, every single one of you, to see your place in the kingdom of God. And how your major specifically and your job choices is connected to a much bigger story. A chance to change the world through you, through your personality, through your gifts, through your personal calling into the jobs that God may be calling you into. So that's kind of what we're going to think about tonight. Because the story of Acts, as you'll see in just a second, it ends with this cliffhanger. All of this movement that we've been studying all semester, all of this excitement, all of the drama leads up to this final moment. And then it just ends with Paul in prison. And you're just kind of like begging like, and then what happened? And the story ends with this cliffhanger, but where the story of Acts concludes your story picks up so here's the context for 28 paul has been through some stuff right he has 
In Philippi, which is the passage we studied last time, he was beaten and imprisoned. And after that, he faced persecution in Athens, corruption in Corinth, more violence in Ephesus. His fellow Jews continually went after him and tried to have him arrested or even killed. He faced Roman officials on all levels, was shipwrecked in chapter 27, snake bitten earlier in chapter 28. He's in prison once more in Rome, and we don't know what's going to happen to him next. And neither does he at this point. So look here at the text. Acts chapter 28, beginning in verse 16. This is Luke writing. He said, when we came into Rome, Paul was allowed to stay by himself with a soldier that guarded him. After three days, he called together the local leaders of the Jews. And when they had gathered, he said to them, brothers, though I had done nothing against our people or the customs of our fathers, yet I was delivered as a prisoner from Jerusalem into the hand of the Romans. When they examined me, they wished to set me at liberty because there's no reason for the death penalty in my case. But because the Jews objected, I was compelled to appeal to Caesar Though I had no charge to bring against my nation. For this reason, therefore, I've asked to see you and speak with you, since it is because of the hope of Israel that I'm wearing these chains. And they said to him, we've received no letters from Judea about you, and none of the brothers coming here has reported or spoken any evil about you. But we desire to hear from you what your views are. For with regard to this sect, we know that everywhere it is spoken against. But they had appointed a day for him. They came to him at his lodging in great numbers. From morning until evening, he expounded to them, testifying to the kingdom of God and trying to convince them about Jesus, both from the law of Moses and from the prophets. And some were convinced by what he said, but others disbelieved. And disagreeing among themselves, they departed after Paul had made one statement. And he said, the Holy Spirit was right in saying to your fathers through the Isaiah the prophet, Go to the people and say, you will indeed hear, but never understand. And you will indeed see, but never perceive. For this people's heart has grown dull. With their ears, they can barely hear. With their eyes, they have closed. Lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their heart and turn, and I would heal them. Therefore, let it be known to you that this salvation of God has been sent to the Gentiles. They will listen. He lived there two years at his own expense. And he welcomed all who came to him, proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. So here's Paul. Do you hear him in this passage? He's in these chains. He's in this Roman kind of house arrest situation because the authorities didn't have any real charges to pin Against him, And so he's kind of given some sense of freedom to where he's able to talk to people as they come and go. And since he couldn't go to the Jews in the synagogues like he would normally do, as you hear what he did, he invited the Jews to come to him. And they set a time and all these people started coming on a regular basis, hearing Paul over these couple of years preach the gospel. He was in chains, but he was on a mission. And his mission was very clear what Paul was committed to here at the end of Acts. He was committed to a message that had kind of a twofold implication. You see it in the outline. It's a message about the king. And it's a message about the mission of the kingdom. It's a message about the king and a message about the mission of the kingdom. And that's the very same message that changes our lives and the very same mission that you've been called into So let's work through that. First, the message of the king. Paul was clear that he was not in the business of self-promotion. 
he did not preach about Paul. He did not pay for followers. He did not pay for subscribers and more likes on his Insta account. He didn't. He just preached Jesus. Uh, to quote Paul, paraphrasing himself in another place, Paul only called people to follow Paul as Paul followed Jesus. That's what he was about. His mission was about his king. You hear it here as Paul preached to the Jews who had gathered around his house arrest. And he said in verse 20, for this reason, I've asked to see you and speak with you since it is because of the hope of Israel that I'm wearing this chain. Paul knew that he knew the one who all of Israel was looking for. He knew that he knew the Savior that all of their longings and all of our longings were really longing for. So the hope of Israel had come in the person and work of Jesus. And that's the message that Paul preached, no matter his circumstances. So in that message, he taught about the promises of the Messiah to come using countless Old Testament prophecies, passages pointing to the Messiah's coming. He taught about God, the son breaking into the world through the virgin birth. He preached the incarnation of Jesus, that God became man and about his perfect life in this earth. The ways that he welcomed people, the hope of Jesus. He taught about his sacrificial death to atone for the sins of sinners, sinners like the Jewish sinners, sinners like the Gentile sinners, sinners like you and me. And he preached about the resurrection of the dead. In Jesus' resurrection on the third day, as if to say death, even death cannot stop the mission of God from seeking out his people all over the earth. Nothing will stop this God. So Paul preached about reconciliation and forgiveness, about the exaltation of Christ and the gift of the Holy Spirit. He taught about the love of Jesus, the grace of Jesus, the mercy of Jesus, the reconciliation of Jesus, the righteousness of Jesus. That was his message over and over. It's all about Jesus. This is not sugar water. This is life-changing, world-changing good news that Paul preached. And I mean that. The message of Jesus really has turned the entire world upside down. Uh, I know y'all thought that that was a reference from Hamilton, right? When I named the series, The World Turned Upside Down, and it was. And even after I kind of uh, planned to call this series that, after I was listening to Hamilton at some point, uh, I came across the story... In Acts chapter 17, where in Acts chapter 17, Paul and Silas are in Thessalonica and basically um, similar themes to what we studied before. They're preaching and people don't like it. And so they start going after them and they they start to beat the Christians that were there following Paul. And one of these guys was named Jason and Jason was beaten and dragged into the streets. And when people came around and they were asking what's going on with this angry mob, let me quote for you. This is Acts chapter 17. One of the men that was basically fighting Jason said, these men, talking about the Christians, these men who have turned the world upside down have come here now. And Jason has received their message and they are acting against the decrees of Caesar, saying that there's some other king named Jesus. Listen, this message about this some other king changes everything. It changes everything. It changes everything in the world and it changes everything in your personal world too. Personally, it reorients your life. It changes the way you see your work, which we'll talk about in a few minutes. It changes the way you date, who you date, why you date, what you do with a person that you date and what you don't do. 
The message of Jesus informs that. It informs what you do with your money, how you spend your time, what you do with your free time. It affects the way that you talk and the way that you walk and the way you relate to the world around you. That's how the message of Jesus affects your personal world, but it's not just a personal salvation. The message of Jesus is a changes the whole world, not just personally, but even corporately. And the message of Jesus is a message that the true king has come. And the, he has entered into the world to change it. And he's establishing his forever kingdom. And he will change the world through his kingdom ambassadors. And so let me say a couple of things. One, if, if you're not a Christian, first of all, I'm glad you're here. Thank you for coming to RUF this semester. I know a number of you maybe wouldn't uh, consider yourself to be a Christian. And you're working through maybe what you believe. And I, I want to say something to you specifically. And even specifically if you would consider yourself to be agnostic or atheist. You have to reckon with the fact that Christians have had a profound impact in the world. You know, for some 2,000 years, impacting incredible, like, entire areas of influence, right? Like sciences, mathematics, the arts, the way Christians have affected the education systems across the world. Um, health care, hospitals. Christians have had a profound impact in architecture and literature, you name it. Throughout history, you will find that Christians have had mostly, not always, an extensively positive impact on society. Not perfectly, but you cannot deny that this message, this message about this king from 2,000 years ago has actually turned societies upside down, including this one, including the one we live in. Paul had a twofold message, right? Some responded and some didn't. Verse 23 said that he went on over and over again explaining this message to them, testifying to the kingdom of God and trying to convince them about Jesus. Some were convinced and others were not. If you are not yet a follower of Jesus, I hope that you would be convinced, not by my words, but by these That Jesus really does have the words of life. Words to change the world and has. Words that change your world and can. You have been invited to participate in a much bigger kingdom than you could have ever imagined. You can find yourself in a story that's much bigger than the story you've been writing. And I want you to see that in this passage. And if you are a follower of Christ, I want you to see that you have been invited into this mission too. And I'll push it a little further. Not just invited. You have been... Compelled, it's not optional. You're in this mission too. Jesus has invited you into this work to proclaim the mission of the kingdom too. And so, like I said earlier, where the book of Acts ends, your story begins. Do you remember where the book of Acts began? Jesus made a promise to his disciples. He said, you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses. Right? And that's kind of what we've been tracing throughout the semester. He says, you'll be my witnesses where? In Jerusalem. Check. In all of Judea and Samaria, those areas surrounding Jerusalem, check, check. And then he says, and then to the ends of the earth. Acts 28 ends with a dot, dot, dot. That's where you come in. We are invited into Jesus's first mission for his disciples as he's or his last mission for his disciples as he's leaving earth. 
That's your cue. That's where you're not just sitting on the sidelines, but you're actually called into the game. It's where you're not just sitting in the seats in the theater, but you're called to come up on stage and to be a part of the story. And I mean that literally. You are now invited to participate in the mission of the kingdom of God in this world. Did you notice how uh, the story ended? It ended with Paul living there two years. He welcomed all who came to him. And the very last verse says, notice the last verse in the last two words. He proclaimed the kingdom of God, teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. With all boldness and without hindrance. In other words, Paul was in prison, but his words kind of went on. He was in shackles, but the message was not contained. Paul proclaimed the kingdom of God. And that message had legs and it ran all over the world, not just through Paul, but the other early Christians. And now here, literally here in Clemson, South Carolina, in the upstate on a Tuesday night in late November, you are sitting in this room because that message came to you. That's remarkable. You see how you're literally in this story because the message continued and now you're here. But it doesn't end here. The message moves on through Jesus' bold kingdom ambassadors all over the world continually spreading this good news. And the kingdom will advance. God's kingdom will come on earth as it is in heaven. And it will happen without hindrance. Abraham Kuyper once famously wrote, There is not a square inch of the world that Christ does not claim with the words, This is mine. And so here's what I want to do and think about with you. You are already on a mission, all of you, me too. You're on a mission, whether you've written it down, written out some mission purpose statement for your life or not. You're on a mission. The question is, what is it? And maybe a better question is, who's it for? What's it about? Are you selling sugar water? Or is it more than that? I want to predict something, juniors and seniors specifically. I want you all to listen to me for a second. Seniors, this is more imminent for you. I predict that within the next five years and maybe within the next year, you will be in your job and you will be living that life that you worked so hard to get to, you know, right out of college. And you'll be a year into it or five years into it or maybe even 10 or 15 years into it. And you're doing it. And, and maybe you're married or maybe you're not. Maybe you... Um, Maybe you're living in the house that you always pictured or maybe you're not, but you're there, you're in that world and you're doing that job and all of a sudden it's going to hit you and that haunting question is going to come and you're going to be doing your job and you're going to say, is this really it? Because is, is this what I was rushing so quickly out of college for? Is this what I was stressed about? Like, is this it? I've been there. Uh, I've been there many times, I would say, over the last many years. Um, My my first kind of really main job out of college, uh, I was working in marketing and graphic design. 
And that's what I wanted. Like when I was, when I was in college, I studied marketing. I enjoyed it. I enjoyed the advertising side of it. And I really wanted to be in a job where I could also do some graphic design stuff. And I landed a job at an ad agency doing exactly what I was hoping I would be able to do. And I didn't know how long I was going to do that. Um, but I did it. I was there. And I remember the feeling, y'all, where after clicking the mouse... For 10 hours, we work long days at this place. And I was staring at the screen, and I remember thinking, like, is this it? Okay, this is a sad message so far. I'm going to get to a point in a second. <laughs> Some of you are like, oh, crap, what do I do? Uh, I'm going to tell you in a minute. But you, you, you got to know, you might ask that question, was it really worth all the investment? Let me illustrate it this way. You ever heard of the artist Banksy? You know Banksy? That, he's funny, isn't he? Uh, notorious street artist. Um, controversial. He's anonymous. You may have seen the story a couple weeks ago, a few weeks ago now, where Banksy's painting of a girl with a balloon was up for auction in London. And it sold for $1.4 million. That's how famous this dude is. And then right after the auction, right after the painting sold... And the gavel kind of dropped. Everyone was in this room and there was a loud beeping. Like from the frame where Banksy's picture was against the wall. And there was a beeping and everyone turns and looks at it. And all of a sudden, the painting begins to self-destruct. He had built in the bottom of this thick frame a, a shredder. And right after the painting sold, it slowly began to drop as everyone watched and shredded into pieces. There's an amazing, you gotta go find the video, not now, wait, you know, 15 minutes. Find this video, it's amazing. And then he like posted stuff on Instagram about it and there's some, I don't remember the quote, I took it out of this, but it's like a Picasso quote and he said, the, the urge to destroy is also a creative urge. It was really, he's, he's, he's that way. <laughs> Here's what I want you to imagine. Imagine you're the investor. You just bought a Banksy painting for $1.4 million and the gavel drops and the beeping begins and your investment begins to slowly shred right in front of you. I think that we can relate on some level. Some of you now freshmen and sophomores, I've talked to the juniors and seniors, you're there with college a little bit right now. I've had conversations with some of you. You're like, I've been asking that question about college. Is this really it? All the hype, all the promises, that not worked that way for me. And you think about your investment, you think about what you've spent all of your energy toward and pouring out for, and then it begins to self-destruct in front of you. And you think, what was all that for? Some of you are scared because you've co-opted, you've interned at a company and you're like, I'm not sure I even want to do this. And then your parents are freaking out and then that's making you freak out even more. So what do we, what do, we do about this? Some of you are like, does this mean I'm supposed to be a missionary? No, that's just going to make everything worse. 
You wouldn't believe the number of times we, Kelly and I, have had the same conversations. Like, as a campus minister, as a pastor, what am I doing? Why am I doing this? All right? So being a full-time Christian whatever doesn't fix it. So what does? Let's close in prayer. We'll pick this up. I'm just kidding. What do we do? All right, this is where we need Tim Keller to step in. Uh, Tim Keller, Tim, well, where's the... Okay, I'm going to read Tim Keller. He, he has a great book called Every Good Endeavor. You can put this on your Christmas list. Every Good Endeavor. And the subtitle simply reads it this way. Connecting God's work to your work. Connecting God's work to your work. In it, he writes about this tension that I'm describing. And, and here's what he says is basically underneath it. With your work... When your work is all about you, when your work is all about you and your little K kingdom, then it will inevitably disappoint. It will inevitably self-destruct and start coming through the shredder. But here's Keller. He says, if the point of work is to serve and exalt ourselves, then our work inevitably becomes less about the work and more about us. Our aggressiveness will eventually become abuse. Our drive will become burnout. And our self-sufficiency will become self-loathing. But if the purpose of work is to serve and exalt something beyond ourselves. Then we actually have a better reason to deploy our talent, ambition and entrepreneurial vigor. And we are more likely to be successful in the long run, even by the world's definitions. In other words, here's Reed's translation. Drinking enough sugar water will eventually make the tummy hurt. But when you connect your work to a much bigger story, when you connect your work to God's work and how God wants to work through your work, oh, then it becomes something altogether different. Only then can you find in your work the reason you're there. Because work, actually, I don't know if you realize this, work came before the fall in the Bible. Right? God gave Adam a job before sin entered into the story. And work was even good in that setting. And his job was to cultivate the garden, to make the earth better. And when you approach your career to make the world better, your career becomes a calling. And your work becomes a tool. A tool to serve your creator and a tool to serve his creation. To advance his kingdom in the world. And in that case, and I actually think only in that case, your investment will not be wasted. Because your major, your job, your career, every single one of you, it is not just an occupation, it's a vocation if you're a Christian. Vocation comes from the word call, calling. It's a calling from God to be a witness to your king in this world. And I don't just mean, let me say this before I work through this a minute. I don't just mean that means you should go and just like always share the gospel with all of your coworkers every day. It's not just evangelism. It's not less than that, but it's not just evangelism. That's important, but that's not just that. It also doesn't just mean you're friendly to your coworkers and show them the love of Jesus every day. You're always so happy. That's not true. So don't be fake. It also doesn't mean you're nice even to the co-workers you don't like and you're going to kill them with kindness because that's what Jesus would do. 
Now that, that doesn't really work either. And so, and it's more like, it's also more than just having a Bible study at work. That's good. It's, but it's more than that. You hear what I'm saying? I'm, I'm saying you don't just add Christian stuff to your work to make it Christian. And it also don't just mean that you make a ton of money and you give 10% to your church and then you give more on top of that to missions organizations like Clemson RUF after you graduate. Hashtag Giving Tuesday. <laughs> it's not only that. It's not less than that. Here's what I mean. Your work, your actual work is connected to advancing the kingdom of God. And so I want to conclude this series by literally trying to go through some of your majors and try to work this out with you. Can we do that? I don't know if I'll hit everybody in the room, but I want to try to hit as many as I can. And so I want to kind of go through, because I just want to restate the point, make it perfectly clear. Your actual calling as a Christian in this world is to be a kingdom ambassador. It's not a side gig. It's not a peripheral benefit. This is your calling. Both as a student now in your major and as you go into your career. So here's some examples. Education. Your calling as a kingdom ambassador is to teach the next generation, right? How to read and write, how to do math or how to do logic, how to think, how to reason to the glory of God. It doesn't mean that you have to teach in a Christian school. It means you're a Christian in whatever school God calls you to, in whatever setting God brings you into. And this is true whether you're elementary, middle, high school special education, or you're a college professor. You're calling as a Christian educator to be a Christian who educates people very well with dignity and respect and love and honor, serving people in the ways that the Lord has served you. If you're in business, you're calling as a kingdom ambassador is to help build companies and to sell products or services in a way that is honoring to God And works for the greater good of your community. You do it with integrity and honesty. With a mind towards serving others. And not just for the bottom line of your particular company. But for the betterment of the people in your community. Or even in the world. Medical field. Broad here. Doctors. Nurses. Dentists. PTs. PAs. Everybody. God made the body. And God has given you a mind to study it. And a heart to care for people who are hurt. People who are hurt by the many ways the fall has affected our world and even our bodies. You have the opportunity as Christians in the medical field to come alongside many people in the middle of some of the darkest hours of their life. You are a light in the darkness for many hurting people. And God has called you there. And it is so hard. Your work is so hard. And it is so worth it. Law or politics, you are called to represent with good arguments and even better motives to promote justice in an often unjust world, to care for and speak for and sometimes stand up for those who might not be able to stand up for themselves. Artists, broad brush, artist pun, painters, photographers, sculptors, musicians. Uh, I'll include, even though Geneva will be mad at me, graphic designers, and she says they're not really artists. (laughs) Graphic communications people. Architects, too. You're all the creatives out there, right? The creatives of the world. Imaging your creator. Being a Christian who is an artist doesn't mean you have to be a Christian artist, right? 
Like you're just painting angels all day or whatever. (laughs) It means you honor God with your work by working with your hands and bringing to life the beautiful or sometimes horrible things of this world, right? Putting to paper or to computer or whatever the case is, the things that you see in your mind and you feel in your heart. I love this quote by Martin Luther uh, when he said, the maid who sweeps her kitchen is doing the will of God just as much as the monk who prays. Not because she may sing a Christian hymn as she sweeps, but because she loves clean floors. The Christian shoemaker, because God loves clean floors. Yeah, the Christian shoemaker does his Christian duty by not putting little crosses on the shoes, but by making good shoes because God is interested in good craftsmanship. Engineers, you are called to do good work and your career depends on it too. You're called to create, except with Excel files and other computer things I don't know anything about, but you're doing it. And you get to see, and this is what I really have loved about getting to know engineers. The last school I worked at was almost exclusively engineers at many times. And and what I love about engineers is you see problems and, and you find solutions to fix problems. You know how gospel that is? To look into the world and see what's broken and figure out ways to fix it. That's what Jesus has been doing all along. Not saying Jesus was an engineer. Okay, he kind of is, but I think this also applies to those of you in construction or forestry or any any science fields where physicists or technology. This is this is another good quote from Keller's Every Good Endeavor. He says, We are to be gardeners who take an active stance toward their charge. They do not leave the land as it is. They rearrange it in order to make it most fruitful, to draw the potentialities for growth and development out of the soil. They dig up the ground and rearrange it with a goal in mind to rearrange the raw material of the garden so that it produces food and flowers and beauty. And that is the pattern for all work. It is creative and it is assertive. We could go on. I know I haven't named everything. I'm thinking of those of you who are... uh, planning to serve your country in many different ways. Those of you who may serve in churches or with missions, organizations of all types, your calling to all of these fields is a call to serve the mission of the kingdom, no matter what. And God has called you exactly you. And he's gifted you to do exactly that. To quote the Ava brothers one more time this semester in their salvation song. Say we came to break the bad, we came to cheer the sad, we came to leave behind the world a better way. One thing I love about how this book ends is that Paul knew that he would end up in Rome, but he didn't know how he was going to get there. He didn't know the circumstances. This came in chapter 23. Jesus came to him basically and told him, you're going to Rome. But he didn't tell him that it would be through suffering. And he didn't tell him how long he would be there. But he was exactly where God told him he would be. And he was doing exactly what God had called him to do. But I have a feeling for the Apostle Paul, this wasn't his plan A. Hardly anything in his life would have been his plan A. But it was God's plan A. Because God is going to work in you exactly where he has you. 
at all times. And he is going to work through you exactly where he places you at all times for your good and for your glory. During those years before we moved into ministry and I was doing the advertising type stuff, I learned a lot about myself, right? I learned how much I enjoyed creating things. Um, I learned how much I love to try to sell products or services and talk to people about what's interesting to them. I, I learned myself through this, but I also learned what it looked like to fail a lot. I didn't finish pro- projects on time. I screwed up. I've got some awful stories I can tell you about things that did not go well for me in that world. I learned how to not balance time with family and time at work very well. I failed to love my coworkers. I failed at a lot of things and still do. I drank the sugar water of success and it began to hurt so much in the end. But what I know is that God was at work. Molding me, shaping me, calling me, sanctifying me along the way. And eventually even using every single one of those jobs along the way to call me to this one. And none of that time was wasted along the way. During those few years that Paul was under arrest, he not only preached the gospel to anyone who would listen, and people were converted, like Onesimus, the the slave who ends up going back to Philemon in my favorite book in the New Testament. He was converted during this, this time. But he also happened to write some letters. Do you know that? During this chapter, Paul was doing some writing too. He wrote some letters to some small churches that he had planted and to some people he had mentored. Letters like Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, the book of Philemon. Just after this, he wrote to Timothy, to Titus. Paul did not know what God was up to. But God knew what God was up to. I want to close with a story about a lawyer who's a Christian who is having a, I think, a profound impact in our society right now. Do you know the name Brian Stevenson? Come across this guy at all? Um, he's, a, he's the founder and executive director of the Equal Justice System in Montgomery, Alabama. He's an attorney, social activist, um, professor at NYU School of Law, and he wrote the New York Times bestselling book called Just Mercy, maybe the way you've heard of him. You can find a lot of his talks online. I want to share a story I heard uh, from him recently where he was representing a man in Alabama not too long ago. So Stephen uh, Stevenson mostly represents kind of underprivileged uh, and often minority men and women who he believes have been unjustly treated um, through broken systems in our society. And he went to visit one of his new clients in prison to get to know him and get to know his story and figure out what was going on with him. And as he entered the prison, the guard knew who Stevenson was, and he was really unkind to him. He knew what he was there for. And he started putting him through this rigorous extra system, which was not the way it should have been, but this guard would basically say, are you here to see your client? Well, you've got to be strip searched today. And Stevenson would go through it. He would go through whatever the guard said that he was supposed to go through in order to go meet with his client. This guy was just awful to him. And he gets into the prison. He gets to meet his client. The first time he sits down with this guy, he, the guy asks him, the first question he asked Stevenson was, did you bring me a milkshake? Did you bring me a milkshake? 
Did you bring me a milkshake? And Stephen's like, I'm your lawyer. What are you talking about? And he was like, I need a milkshake. Can you give me a milkshake? And so he knew that this guy had some problems. And he knew it was going to be a tough journey. And so as he gets to know his story, he finds out that this young man was a victim of the foster care system. That he had been um, in a house at the age of 10. His foster parents abandoned him. They basically took him into the woods many, many, many feet from the road and tied him to a tree and left him for dead. Some hunters found him malnourished about three days later, and he got put back in the system. He was put into another home, became drug addicted and on the streets by himself at age 14, psychotic at 16, and arrested and charged with murder at 19. And so Stevenson gets to know this guy's story and wants to build a case to represent him well in court. So he goes to court. And guess who the guard on duty in the courtroom was that day? Same man from the prison. So Stevenson presented his case, the failings of the system that put this man in a difficult life position. He said he felt good about the case and he went home and he went back to the prison about a month later to follow up. And the guard was there. And as soon as Stevenson walks into the prison, the guard looks at him with a kind of a different look on his face. And he said, good morning, Mr. Stevenson. I've already signed you in. And he said he thought this was strange. And he was like, all right, thank you very much. And the guard continued and he said, Mr. Stevenson, I want to tell you something. I was listening to you in court that day. I want you to know that I was in the foster care system too. And I didn't have it very good. I want you to know that I really appreciate what you're doing for this man. Stevenson said he couldn't believe it. He talked about how hard his work was and it's very seldom does he get any sense of like reconciliation or redemption. He said for him, this was kind of a personal moment of redemption. And then the guard said something that blew him away. He said, I did something for your client that day when I took him home from the uh, from the court. He said, I took uh, off an exit early and I took him to get a milkshake on the way back to prison. Listen, I know you guys are going into a lot of different fields. I'm so excited about that. That's the reason I'm doing this job. I only get four to five years with you at best. Right. I'm so thankful for the time. But this time is so important. This time shapes that time. And your time here on this campus, I believe, will change the world. God is doing a work in you into whatever field he's calling you into. And he's going to change the world through you. I believe it. That's why I'm here. Here's the final quote from Stevenson. At the end of this whole thing, he said, I believe that something is simple as a chocolate milkshake can be a path to the message and mission of Jesus Christ. It can be the witnesses. It can be the witness that can transform a society that has become so hopeless about so many things. You engineers, you nurses, you teachers, you artists, you are Christ's witnesses. This is your message. This is your mission. And God will use you even to turn the world upside down too. Would you pray with me?